today is old you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's gospel reading is from Luke. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they put out, and while they were sailing, he fell asleep. A windstorm swept down on the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in danger. They went to him and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed and said to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight this morning. You are our rock, you are our redeemer, and so we pray that you would be with us and bless us as we open your scriptures today. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. So what are the storms that trouble you today? What are the storms as you think about the world out there, right? This stormy world that we live in, uh, both literally stormy and figuratively stormy, right? Our world is a place uh, where a lot of hard things happen. Our world is often chaotic, confusing, violent. Our world is ravaged by brokenness, broken relationships, injustice, all kinds of things. What are the storms that trouble you today? And as you think about your own just interior life or your own personal life, your relationships, what what are the stormy places in your own just lived experience right now? Where do things feel like you're being tossed to and fro or things feel like they're a little bit out of control or they're confusing or they're scary? What are those places? And what do you think it might be like to meet God in those very places in a way where God shows up and you experience God as Lord of the storm? What would that be like? So we're continuing our series on God with us that we've been doing kind of all year at this point, right? In different ways. We've traced the story of God's presence with his people uh, through the Old Testament. Uh, we did that up until Lent. Uh, in the Lent season, we've been, we've been doing God with us in various aspects of our life experience, right? We were looking at failure recently. Today, we're looking at fear. God with us in our fear. 
in your stormy life and in this stormy world, what's fear like for you? Where are you afraid? How does fear show up for you? How does anxiety show up for you? You know, fear and anxiety, those aren't the same thing. They're related, but they're distinct, right? We might say that fear is a response that we have in the presence of a real threat. Um, anxiety is a response that we have in the presence of possible threats, right? Um, they may be real. They may not be real. We, we can forecast threats. We can, we can imagine ourselves to be in danger, uh, and sometimes we are and sometimes we aren't. But often, fear and anxiety, they, they present in our bodies in similar ways, right? Um, maybe your heart races or your breathing quickens or you get sweaty palms or you become agitated. Or maybe you find yourself in your own body uh, kind of clicking into a, a fight or flight or freeze kind of response as you are responding to a perceived or a real threat. How does fear express in your life? And where in your life are you right now afraid? My wife, Bonnie, and I were reflecting this week on um, one of our uh, former professors and one of her former mentors, a guy named Ed Welch, who has just this lovely way of talking about fearful people. I, you know, it's, nobody wants to be afraid. Nobody wants to be a fearful person. Being afraid is not a fun experience. But Ed Welch, who spends so much of his life ministering to and counseling fearful people, when he talks about fearful people, he just lights up. He lights up because he talks about fearful people get to experience God in this precious way that you would never get to experience if you were not a fearful person. And so for him and his life's work of just walking alongside fearful people and, and helping them encounter God, helping them experience the comfort and the liberating love of God in their experience of fear, he's come to see fear as a kind of gift where without it, you would never get to know the depth of comfort like that. And he'll use this illustration of like, imagine being like the lost child who's lost in the department store or wherever, and you can't find your parent, and then you do. And the comfort that the kid experiences upon finding the parent who was lost, right? It's like, it's a, it's a level of experience that would be unavailable to that kid apart from the horror and the fear of being lost, right? It's a comfort that meets the child in fear. And so there's this release, there's this encounter that is, in, is dramatic and memorable and life-changing. And Ed Welch will talk about fearful people get to know God like that. Fear can be a gift when we turn to God in the midst of it. I love these two passages that we just read, one from Isaiah and the other from Luke. Um, they're both kind of go-to scriptures for me personally. Um, so the Isaiah 43 one, you know, this, this when you, you know, I've, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, right? When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. It's this description of a world that hurts and a world that's dangerous. And it's a description of security and comfort in the midst of a chaotic and harmful world where the security doesn't come from the circumstances, Right? It doesn't come from an ordered environment in which the things aren't hard, but it comes from the presence of the one, the Lord, who is with you in the midst of the hard. 
I love that image and I go to it frequently. And I'm, and I'm reminded today that, you know, the, of all of the instructions and commands that we find in the scriptures, none occurs more frequently than do not be afraid. It's the most frequent command in the entire Bible. And the, the promise, the rationale for the instruction, do not be afraid, is not don't be afraid because it's not that bad. Or it's not do not be afraid because it won't hurt or even that it won't undo you. Or don't be afraid because God wouldn't give you more than you can handle. It's none of that. It's do not be afraid because I will be with you. The promise that undergirds the command is the promise of the presence of the Lord. And the security that is available is the security not of an environment that is now brought into order, but of the presence of the Lord, who is the one who brings order out of chaos, the one who brings renewal to all things, the one who is carrying history and the human story to its completion and to its goal and to this future where every tear will be wiped away, all will be made new, justice and peace will prevail and the earth, human beings will live in right relationship with one another and with God in love and in peace. That Lord who's bringing all things to that moment is with you now in the storm. And it's the I will be with you promise that resides as, as the bedrock, the foundation of the invitation not to fear. The story from Luke of a literal storm happens as Jesus and his disciples are in a boat going across the lake. Uh, this body of water is the Sea of Galilee. It's not really a sea. It's a lake, but it gets called the Sea of Galilee or it gets called other things, um, but it's a lake. And so they're, they're, they get in the boat and they go to the other side. And then while they're going across the lake, a storm comes upon them, a windstorm swept down on the lake and the boat starts filling with water. And strangely, Jesus is like asleep at this point. And so the disciples who are on the boat, who are scared, they go to Jesus, right? Master, master, we're perishing. And so Jesus wakes up and then he, he speaks to the weather and it changes. And they go from being afraid of the storm to being afraid of Jesus, right? It's a strange story, but it's one of my favorites. And um, I got to experience something last month that was really remarkable. I got to be on this very body of water myself. I got to be on a boat on the Sea of Galilee like a month ago. Um, and I spent about five days in the Galilee uh, right here on the shore of this very body of water. And I was really hoping that at some point during my, my pretty much a week there, that I'd get to see a storm at some point. And sure enough, on my next to last day there, I was awakened at 3 a.m. by a legit storm on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I wasn't in a boat. I was in my hotel. And by hotel, I kind of mean this little bungalow thing that's like a little kibbutz, little, little house thing that's out there on the, by the water. And, um, and I, I woke up at 3 a.m. and the sliding glass door that goes out to the patio was, was beginning to like sh uh, chatter like shake. Um, you could hear it rattling because the wind was so strong. And so I, I went outside and sure enough, I mean, it's like palm trees 
diagonal from the wind that's blowing on them. And like you can look, the water's all choppy. You can see it and just like the rain is coming in sideways. It's a legit storm on the Sea of Galilee. And it was really fun to be able to witness this in person because this is one of my favorite stories. And I've always kind of wanted to know what does it look like when you get a storm on the Sea of Galilee? And the Sea of Galilee is, is set in a kind of bowl where the, the ridge goes up around the edges. So you can get funky wind patterns that come through. If just the air moves in strange ways. And so you can get these really, you know, strong winds. And uh, it, can, it can certainly mess things up. And these little fishing boats that Jesus and his disciples used and people back then, they weren't like big old ships. They were like little rowboats, you know. As you can imagine being out on a lake when a windstorm like this comes up, the waves will get to be six feet high at times from a storm like this. And you're in this little rowboat and that would be terrifying to be out in the middle of the water in a little boat like that. It, really, it would be terrifying. I don't know how anyone would be taking a nap through that, honestly. But there's more going on there, as you might suspect. Um... When Luke tells the story of Jesus calming the storm, the storm isn't a mere accident of weather patterns for Luke. It's an important thing, theologically. So Luke is telling the story of Jesus, right? And he's, he's um, you, we've already encountered Jesus as this, uh, this person who teaches with a unique authority. We've already encountered Jesus, the teacher, who has, who has spoken even at the sea in, in a way that this is where he begins to speak about the kingdom of God in, with an authority that is, that is unique. Um, and now at this section, what we begin to see are, is a series of events where Jesus begins to do things where his deeds demonstrate this same authority by which he teaches. And for Luke, what he wants his readers to see is that Jesus wields the very authority of the God who is the God, the king of the kingdom of God, right? And so for Jesus to be, to be able to speak to a storm and calm the sea would be to wield the authority of the sovereign of the sea, which is the Lord. This is to pick up on... Uh, a theme that is throughout the whole of the Hebrew Bible or the, or the Old Testament where you see the Lord as the one who wields authority over the sea. And the sea is scary. And the, ski, the sea means all kinds of things. Water means all kinds of things. Some of those things are like scary, chaotic kind of things. It's like even the forces of evil and chaos are, are represented sometimes by the sea. And so when Jesus speaks to this storm and the waves, he doesn't just say, stop. What's the word that Luke uses? He rebukes them. He rebukes them. When Jesus calms the storm, he's interacting with forces that are like he's taming evil. He's taming the chaos. He's taming the disorder of the disordered world. And he's exercising his unique authority in this realm. And as this story keeps going forward, we'll see him exercise this authority next over unclean spirits as he gets to the other side of the lake. And then over sickness and then over even death as he heals a woman who has had a chronic blood flow, right, for 12 years. And then as he will raise Jairus' daughter from death. We'll see this unfolding demonstration of Jesus's unique authority in these different realms. And Luke has arranged these stories in a particular order to carry us along on this journey of beginning to recognize Jesus for who he is. 
And so the disciples are in the boat with him and this moment happens, right? They're there and the sea gets cranky and the weather comes upon them and they're terrified and they're in danger and they're afraid. And they go to Jesus and they shout, we are perishing. And then Jesus rebukes the weather and everything goes peaceful. And so the disciples are no longer afraid. No, they're very afraid. They're just afraid of Jesus now, <laughs> right? This reminds me of the line from Josh and Corey's song, he is storm and shelter both. Jesus is the Lord of the storm and he himself is a whole other kind of storm, right? He's the one who carries us forward into the world that he is remaking and he carries us forward into it by his own means, which is this entering into the storm, going into the world as people who bear the love of Christ, going into the world as people who deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, going into the world not as self-protectors primarily, but as self-givers who are seeking to bless the world with our lives. And so following Jesus is a ride-along of sorts that carries us into the storms that we would otherwise prefer to avoid. I told you I got to be uh, in Israel and the Galilee. I brought home a couple of souvenirs. Um, and I've been carrying these in my pocket. Um, these are rocks. Um, and this black one I pulled out of the Jordan River. And it's, um, this is my baptism rock. You know, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And that word spoken over Jesus' life, this is my beloved son. That same word is spoken over you and over me, my beloved child, you and I who are joined to Jesus, who are united to him, who are washed in him, who are fastened to him and, and brought into the family of the Father. We are beloved. That's the identity that is ours as a gift. That's the identity that is mine as a gift. And so I carry this rock in my pocket now as a little reminder for my fingers every time I grab my keys. I, I, I bump into my baptism rock and I'm reminded this is who you are, Chris. You are God's beloved child. That's an identity that's yours as a gift by the grace of God. You can't undo it. You could have never earned it and you can't blow it because you're held by the grace of God. I have this other rock, this white one. I pulled this from the, uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee at Capernaum, the village, uh, where Jesus based much of his ministry, uh, where he interacted with his disciples. And so alongside my baptism rock, I am now carrying around my disciple rock. That alongside my identity as God's beloved, I'm reminded of my calling to follow him. And that I'm, I'm a disciple who's called to follow Jesus. And this Jesus who I'm called to follow is the one who says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side and storms come, <laughs> Right? Ride along with me into the storm. I don't want to go into the storm. Nobody wants to go into the storm. It's stupid to go into the storm. Foolish. But Jesus takes us into the storms. Because that's how God is bringing forth life out of death. 
And he involves us in the work that he's doing, where we are called to follow Jesus into the world as God's beloved and on a ride along with Jesus on this mission to go into the storm and bring order out of chaos through the love and power of God with whom we are involved. To ride into the storms of life and relationship and into the places of brokenness and pain and to bring forth beauty out of chaos, to bring forth justice out of injustice and disorder, to bring forth peace out of strife as we ride along with Jesus into the storm and trust him to be Lord of the storm. And just as that promise through Isaiah that we, that we receive is not when you walk through the fire, it, it won't hurt, right? It's that when you walk through the fire, the flames won't consume you for I will be with you. It's a picture, it's a metaphor, it's an image for the sustaining power of the Lord who holds us. And this is what the life of the beloved looks like as we see the life of Jesus, God's beloved son, walk out into the world. We don't see what you might expect from like hashtag blessed, right? It's what we see in Jesus is the life of the blessed one is a life of sacrificial service and love. It's one of being broken in order to bring forth life into the world. It's a, it's a life of being, being propelled toward need and meeting it with compassion, not of avoiding pain in self-preservation. And ultimately, we'll see that self-giving love of Jesus displayed uh, in technicolor, really, at the cross, right, where we see Jesus give himself, give of his own life for the salvation of the world, to enter into suffering and death in order to plunder the very belly of the grave as he rises from it to begin a whole new thing. And he says, come and join me in that. I want to avoid the storm. And so I miss the goodness that comes when you ride with Jesus into it. But when we begin to catch a vision for what God is doing, when we begin to have hope that's resurrection hope and not just make my life good kind of hope, we begin to go into those places with Jesus, not as self-protecting, not as self-indulgent, not as self-actualizing or self-promoting or whatever, but as self-giving, trusting him that what he's doing is actually bringing to fullness the plan that he's initiated that ends with everything being made new. And what we get to do is ride along with Jesus and get involved with him. And we trust him for the results. We trust him with our circumstances. We don't find security based on the circumstances being brought more into control. We find security knowing that we ride with him and that he has us. That's a precious place to be. And that's the kind of place I think that when you start to talk about the gift of the fearful person, right? The gift of, the, of fear as one where it's in that moment that we begin to know the comfort of God who meets us in our fear. I think that's maybe what Ed Welch is talking about when he lights up. It's that when you ride along with Jesus into those places of need, when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, and you experience what happens when you really are vulnerable. It's then and only then that you know the comfort of the God who meets you 
there in that delicate, precious, true place. And every survival instinct in my body and in yours tells us to run away from that as fast as we can. Fight, flight, freeze, get out of there, avoid the storm, avoid the fearful thing, avoid the threat, protect yourself, insulate yourself, fortify yourself, eliminate worry, eliminate threat. But Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Get in the boat with me and let's go. And the storm comes. And in the storm, you experience the Lord of the storm. And when you experience the Lord of the storm, you have a new kind of fear. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear is not a terror fear, but an awe fear. And I believe we get access to that kind of fear that's the beginning of wisdom when we begin to encounter the God who actually transcends our limits and the God who actually is bigger than we can imagine and stronger than we can imagine and stronger than all of the threats that we fear. And he's good. And he says, I will be with you. Friends, I think that's the hope that we have. And I think Luke, as he's writing his gospel, I think he's inviting his audience to recognize Jesus for who he is and to recognize him as the one who is so much greater, so much kinder, so much more powerful, so much more authoritative, not in an authoritarian sense, but in the fact that he actually wields the authority of the creator of all things. And he's with you. And he's promised to bring you with him into the fullness of all things. How do we begin to welcome God into our fear? I want to share with you a tool that I've shared with you before, um, but it's been a little while, so I'm going to bring it back up. This is called the welcoming prayer. Uh, this is a tool that comes out of a contemplative Catholic tradition. I believe in gleaning wisdom from wherever you can. Um, this might feel weird uh, to some. It might feel very uh, comfortable to others. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prayer technique that um, essentially helps us, helps us know ourselves in our own experiences first, and then welcomes God into that space to meet us there. And so the first step in the welcoming prayer is actually to pay attention to what you're experiencing right now. So like what's going on in your body? What are you feeling right now? And as you listen to yourself, as you pay attention to yourself, pick one thing that you're feeling. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's dread or anxiety. Maybe you're feeling agitated, okay? Just pick one and go with it, all right? So you choose one that you're actually feeling and say, all right, I'm going to become curious about this. What am I feeling? Okay, I'm, I'm afraid. What's happening in my body? It's like my heart is racing. I, I can feel my palms getting sweaty. I can feel like I'm breathing quickly. And uh, what, what thoughts are coming to mind? Become curious about the way you experience your fear and get to know yourself in the midst of it. And then as you're doing that, and you're actually befriending this experience, so to speak, becoming acquainted with it, with a curiosity you usually would not be uh, leveraging toward investigating something at this depth, then begin to welcome God into it with you. 
not to fix it, not to explain it, but to simply meet you in your experience of becoming curious about what you're going through. And welcome God into that space, into the feeling, into the thought, the emotion, the sensation, whatever, and consent to God's presence in your soul. Just consent to God being there with you in the midst of it. And stay in that step until you actually feel the presence of God. It can take a while. And then when you begin to actually sense that I'm in this with God, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm actually becoming acquainted with my own fear. And I've actually welcomed God into this space and consented to the presence of God. There's a little liturgy of surrender that opens us up. And it goes like this. I let go of my demand for security and control. I let go of my demand for esteem and affection. I let go of my demand for power and control. I let go of my demand to change the situation, my condition, or myself. Those are programs for happiness that we employ apart from God to minister to us. And so when we surrender those programs of happiness, we begin to surrender ourselves to God. And we begin to welcome God into our experience and we're actually paying attention to our experience and now we're surrendering ourselves to God in that experience. And then the last step is simply, once you're at that space and you've actually opened yourself to God, ask God to turn your fear or your dread your anxiety, your agitation, whatever it is that you've selected, to turn that into a messenger for you. God, would you show me whatever you would like for me to see? God, would you speak to me? Would you turn this into a messenger that helps me know you more deeply? And then listen. Wait for the Lord. If that's not the kind of contemplative practice that you're used to, that probably sounds super weird. Um, and that's fine. That's fine. I will just tell you, I have had profound experiences of meeting God through using this tool. And if you would like help using it, I would be happy to help you. It's not a magic thing, but it's a very useful thing. And God is very real. Very real. And he is all that he has cracked up to be. The Lord of the storm is with you. And he loves you. And he's available to you. Let's pray. Our God, we need you. And we thank you for your compassion and for your care for us. We thank you that you wield your power to bring forth life and wholeness and goodness and justice and peace. We thank you that you know us to the core of our being and you do not recoil from us. In fact, you run with delight 
headlong into the garden of our souls and you invite us to join you there. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the openness and the delight and the desire to do that work of meeting you there. And I pray that as we do, as we call upon your name, that we would discover you as the Lord who is with us, the Lord who's with us in our fear, the Lord who's with us in the midst of the storm, the Lord who meets us and says, do not fear, for I am with you. Lord Jesus, would you help us to know you like that? Would you change us? Would you make us new? And would you help us to show up in the world and in the lives of our friends and our neighbors, grounded in your presence and love in the way that we can actually be helpful and bring forth life as we get more and more involved with you? Do that mighty work in us, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.